Hello, and welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little, and I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City. Thanks for tuning in. For the past couple of weeks, lead pastor Jeff Kincaid has been leading us in a series on Habakkuk, subtitled, Trusting God in Turbulent Times. This week, we turn our attention to the culture of the Babylonians. I wonder if you think they have anything in common with us. Well, let's find out now as we turn to lead pastor Jeff Kincaid, continuing in Habakkuk. There's an old superstition from the East that says that a parent, uh, that parents can predict their child's future. And the way that you do this, superstition said, is that while the child is still a, a toddler, the The parent should place on a table within the toddler's reach a bottle of wine, some money, and a Bible. If the little one walks up to the table and picks up the Bible, it means that he's going to follow a spiritual vocation of some kind, possibly going to the ministry. If the toddler picks up the bottle of wine, hedonism is in his future. If he picks up the money... He's probably going to become a business person or an entrepreneur. Well, the story is told of a new father who was eager to, to plan for his son's future. And so he administered this test and he carefully positioned the three objects on the coffee table, watching eagerly what the little boy would do with them. So the little guy walked up to the table and he surveyed everything on the table. And slowly he reached out his hand for the Bible. But then he paused and he picked up the money as well, and he put it in the Bible. And finally, he put the Bible under one arm, and he took the bottle of wine in the other hand and toddled off, uh, you know, struggling to maintain his balance. Well, the father was very confused by this, and so he turned to his own father, who was standing over to the side watching this silently, and he asked his father, he said, what does this mean? His father replied, this is bad news. He's going to become a politician. I wonder if I were to ask you this morning, what's wrong with America? I wonder what you would say. I suspect many of you would point to politicians. In fact, 74% of people in America disapprove of the job that our politicians in Washington are doing. Maybe you'd point to Republicans. Maybe you'd point to Democrats. Maybe you'd point to the media. What's wrong with our country? Point to any number of things, I I suspect. And I think if I were to ask you, what has caused the breakdown of the American family? I think you could probably point to a number of things that have caused that too. Maybe you'd suggest no-fault divorce. Maybe you'd suggest poverty in America. Maybe Maybe you'd point to sexual immorality. I don't know. And if I were to ask you why young Americans today are more confident, assertive, and entitled than ever before, and yet, statistically, they are more miserable, they say than ever before too. And I suggest, you know, if I said, what's the cause of that? Maybe you would point to helicopter parents. Maybe you'd point to divorce. Maybe you would point to too much pressure on those kids to perform. I would suggest to you that maybe, that maybe some of those are parts of the issue. But behind all of the answers that you might give to those questions, there is something far more sinister and far more destructive at work that threatens not only this country, but everything and everyone in it. And we're going to see it this morning in our ongoing study of the book of Habakkuk. 
I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 4 today. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. If you're new to City Church or if you're just joining us on our app or by our podcast, we're in a series on the book of Habakkuk. We've sub- subtitled this series, Trusting God in Turbulent Times. Seems like all too often in life, God doesn't do what it seems plainly obvious that he should do. Or maybe he allows things to happen that it doesn't seem like he would ever allow to happen. And when these kinds of things happen, it throws us into a spiritual crisis of sorts. That's exactly what is happening in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet to the ancient nation of Israel. Specifically, he's a prophet to the southern part of the nation, Judah. And he sees a great deal of injustice and violence and evil in the nation. And he doesn't understand why God isn't doing anything about it. And then to make matters worse, God has told Habakkuk in chapter 1 that he's going to use the treacherous, ruthless Babylonian empire to discipline Israel. And Habakkuk is appalled. And with a touch of righteous indignation, Habakkuk questions God. He complains to God. And he says that to use an evil nation to discipline God's chosen people seems contrary to all that God has revealed about himself. Now, verses 2 through 20 are God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. And last week, we started looking at this passage. But I want to look at the rest of it today. And then again, I'm going to tell you that the week after next, we're going to look at it one more time, because there's a great deal here in chapter 2. Let's start, let's start at verse 4. Verse 4. We saw this last week, but I want to look at it again. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Here's the way it goes. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, before I go any further, I want you to notice that I highlighted the word he And I highlighted the phrase, but the righteous, because I wanted to make sure that you see that there's a contrast happening here. Now, I want to make sure that you understand the players in this contrast as well. He is referring to Babylon, the nation that God is going to use to discipline Israel. The phrase, but the righteous, is referring to the people of faith in Israel. I think that's probably easy enough for you to see, right? I mean, that's not too complicated, but There is another layer to this contrast underneath the surface. Anytime that you see the word Babylon in Scripture, understand that it also symbolizes humanity's rebellion against God. So so God is referring to historical Babylon here, but he's also referring to every culture, every nation, every people throughout history that has rebelled against him chosen not to worship him. And he is contrasting Babylon and those kingdoms with the nation of Israel, which is designed around the worship of God, okay? Now, I want you to notice how he describes Babylon. He says, Babylon, and of course, every culture that has rebelled against God, he says, is puffed up. That's what it says in my version. I'm reading the the NIV, the 1984 version of the, of the NIV. I don't know what your version says. Mine says he's puffed up. In verse 5, he will call him arrogant. What's he saying? Well, what God is saying is that the defining characteristic of Babylon in any culture that doesn't 
revolve around the worship of God, the defining characteristic of that culture is pride. Pride. Now, if you think about it, that makes perfect sense. What is pride? Let me give you a definition. Pride is pride is the refusal to recognize man's need for God in any aspect of life. That's what pride is. Let me say it again. Pride is the refusal to recognize man's need for God in any aspect of life. For instance, a culture, a prideful culture like this might say, we don't need God's truth. We can define truth quite well on our own. In fact, each and every one of us individually, we can define our own truth. Prideful nation might say, no God can tell us what we can and can't do with our bodies. Our bodies are, are our own. Prideful country, prideful nation, prideful culture might say, we don't need God to tell us what constitutes a marriage. We can, we can define and redefine marriage however we want to. Prideful culture might say, we don't need to worship God to find purpose and meaning in life. We can find purpose and meaning. We can find those things on our own. Autonomy from God. That's what you're seeing here. That's what we're talking about. Pride, the refusal to recognize man's need for God in any aspect of life. And what you're going to see this morning, as God describes Babylon and its future, is what happens to a nation that refuses to recognize its need for God. That's what you're going to see here. What happens to a nation, what happens to a culture, what happens to an individual who refuses to recognize his, her, that culture, that nation's need for God. What is it that happens to a prideful culture? Well, first I want you to notice what else God says in verse 4? Immediately after he describes Babylon as prideful, he says, notice, his desires are not right. Now remember that this passage contrasts Babylon with Israel. Israel was designed to be a culture built around God. And a culture that is built around God desires to glorify God in every aspect of its culture, in its arts, in its commerce, in its education, in its social structures. All of these are built around the desire to bring God glory. How, how they use sex, how they use money, how they use power. All of this is designed to bring God glory. But not the culture in rebellion against God. Not the prideful culture. I want you to write this down. Make, mark this somewhere. Just, just put it down somewhere that you can retrieve it. Pride distorts the desires of a culture and is the source of its evil. Pride distorts the desires of a culture and is the source of its evil. Now, let me show you this in this passage. And I, and I guess I should tell you uh, right now, I don't have time to read every verse in this passage, so I'm just going to highlight some key portions of it. What I want you to see is that every evil that God has to say about Babylon in this passage flows out of its distorted desires. For instance, look at this, verse 7. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. I love that phrase. Greedy is as the grave and like death is never satisfied. Anyway, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. 
This greed is flowing out of its distorted desires. It's not focused on God, and so it becomes greedy. Or verse 8, he says that they are violent and murderous. He says that you have shed man's blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Because I don't have time to read the whole passage, let me just list some of the other specific evils of Babylon that are mentioned here. Verse 9, social injustice and bloodlust. Verse 15, sexual immorality. Verse 17, cruelty to animals. Isn't that interesting? Cruelty to animals. All of these are a result of its distorted desires. It doesn't desire to bring glory to God, and so that pride distorts a culture's desires. What's right is wrong in Babylon. What is wrong is right in Babylon. Why? Because pride distorts a culture's desires and is the source of that culture's evil. Now, that's the first effect that pride has on a culture. But there's more. And I want you to see this. God tells Habakkuk in verse 18 that in addition to everything else that's evil about Babylon, he says that they're idolaters. Look at what he says. He says, of what value is an idol since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies for he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. I want you to write this down. Here's the second effect of pride on a culture. Because human beings were built to worship, if a culture isn't built around the glory of God, it will be built around an idol, perhaps even more than one idol, but at least one idol. Because human beings were built to worship, if a culture isn't built around the glory of God, it will be built around an idol. Now, the same that is true of cultures The same that is true of nations is true of individual cultures. It's also true of individual people. You're not built around worshiping God. You will be built around an idol. You see, the reason is there's something that most people don't understand is that everybody worships something. It's how we were created. We were created to worship, to worship God, of course. We're we're worshipers. That's, That's what all of us are, even atheists. We're all worshipers. When Adam and Eve walked with God, their lives were full of purpose and meaning. They never questioned. They never had to question if they were loved, if they were valued. They knew they were. But when pride obscures our recognition of our need for God, we lose the only source that can supply us with a sense of significance and value and purpose and meaning. And so we no longer feel inherently loved and valued. We feel insecure. We feel empty. And so, we have to turn to something else to make us feel all of those things we were created to feel. We have to worship something. And whatever that thing is that makes us feel valued and loved and significant, that becomes a kind of substitute God for us. In other words, an idol. Now, I want to give you an example of this, how this works on, on an individual level. You know, we've said that what's true of nations is what's true of individu- individual cultures, and it's also true of individual people. Let me give you an example of this on an individual level. Never forget reading an interview a number of years ago with David Letterman. And in this, in this interview, Letterman was, was uh, extremely honest and I think even insightful about himself. 
he admitted to the person that was interviewing him, he admitted that every night when he went out to do his show, that his whole sense of value and worth depended upon how the audience reacted that night. One night he might be sky high, the audience, you know, they loved the show, they laughed, you know, all of that, so he's sky high. The next night he might be ready to jump off a building. In the interview, he asked this, it was a rhetorical question, but he asked this about himself. He said this, what does it say, this is Letterman talking, what does it say about a grown man who every single night is desperately seeking the approval of a mass American television audience. Well, what it says is that he's empty at the core of his being. And he's desperate. And rather than turn to a relationship with God to fill his soul He makes his audience's approval the source of his value, the source of his sense of meaning and purpose, the source of his feeling of being loved and and valued. In other words, his audience's approval is his idol. And what the idol does in Letterman's mind is that it allows him to get glory. Understand that that's how it works on an individual level. Pride has obscured his need for God. And in place of God, there's another idol that he worships, the approval of his audience. Now, I want to go back to the Babylonian. I want you to see how this works now on a national level. Do you remember from chapter 1, anybody remember from chapter 1, what God said was Babylon's idol? Told you to underline it, told you to mark it, it would be important in the weeks ahead. Here's what God said. He said that Babylon is full of guilty people, whose own strength is their God. In other words, power is their idol. Everything they did in their culture was about getting power. If you'd have been raised in that culture, you would have been raised to believe that power would give you a sense of meaning and purpose. The more power you had, the more loved you were. Power gave you glory. The more power you had, the more valuable you were. And what I want you to see is that power affected everything they did. Look at this in verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of the glory that you are using power to fill you with. What's God talking about here? He's talking about sexual immorality. This is, all, you know, this is all sex outside of marriage. That's what he's talking about. And notice that even sex for the Babylonians was all about power. It was a power grab. It wasn't about love. It was about doing whatever it takes to stop feeling insecure and to start experiencing glory. So let me just get you drunk. Let me just use your body to get glory. Let me have power over you, even in in sex. By the way, this isn't just true of the Babylonians, is it? Let me ask you something. How many movies or TV shows have been made about young men who are supposed to be embarrassed about their virginity 
and they need to go out and find a woman to use who will give him her body so that he, has, so that he no longer has to feel ashamed. Ever seen a movie about that? Yeah. A lot of them, aren't there? Ever seen a TV show about that? Sure. What is wrong seems right, and what is right seems wrong in a prideful culture. You see, this is one of the things about a prideful, idolatrous culture. Because people in an idolatrous culture are empty at the core of their beings, they are desperate people, and nothing will get in their way of worshiping their idol. They will use each other. They will manipulate each other. They will lie to each other. They will walk all over each other. They will lie about each other. They will become violent with each other and even kill each other. Whatever it takes to get their idol because it is what fills their soul. It's what gives them meaning. It's what makes them feel valued in this life. Eddie Rodriguez, our college pastor, some of you guys know Eddie. Eddie was telling me the other day that his cousin was randomly killed in Chicago a number of years ago by a kid who needed to kill someone so that he could be a member of a gang. For that kid, being a part of a gang had become his idol. And he would get that idol even if he had to kill an innocent victim at random for it. And you see, no culture can survive when the people in it are so desperate for glory, for love and meaning and value, that everything and everyone becomes a tool to fill the void at the core of their being. If everything's up for grabs, no culture can survive that. Then this is exactly the point that God makes in this passage. Watch this, verse 6. Remember, he says, these are, these are greedy people. Woe to him. He says in verse 6, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? uh, Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Your greed, your extortion is going to turn on you. Verse 17, The violence that you have done to Lebanon, it's going to overwhelm you. And your destruction of animals is going to terrify you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Live by the sword, die by the sword. In other words, God wants Habakkuk to see, and he wants every generation after Habakkuk, including ours, to see that the seeds of Babylon's destruction were already present in them, even at the apex of their power. And the seeds of their destruction or in their idol. Habakkuk was, you know, he was worried, he was concerned, he's frustrated that like, God doesn't seem like you know what you're doing. But God says, look, I'm, I'm going to use these people to discipline my people Israel. But I want you to understand, Babylon will not survive. The seeds of their destruction are already present in them, in their idols. But he says, the righteous in Israel, verse 4, the righteous in Israel, they will survive by their faith, not in an idol, but by their faith in me. There will always be a remnant of righteous people in Israel. But Babylon, Babylon is going to be destroyed. Now I want to go back to my original questions. What's wrong with America? What is it that's tearing down the American family? Why are young Americans, why are they so miserable? God says, Here's here's the answer, God says. The answer is pride. 
Our pride as a culture has distorted our God-given desires to worship him. And it is the source of all of our evil. And so we have become idolaters. And those idols are the very seeds of our destruction as a nation. You'd be hard-pressed, I think, to find just one idol that America worships because we're a nation of many different subcultures. For instance, some of us in America idolize individual freedom. We don't want to be told what to do. We We don't want to be told what is right and wrong by anyone else. And so we destroy ourselves, the seeds of our destruction, we destroy ourselves through abortion and divorce and sex outside of marriage. Some of us idolize power. Because of our idolatry of power, we get things like social injustice and race war. Some of us idolize success, and so we get people who work themselves into divorces because success means more than their family. Or maybe we get kids who live under constant pressure to perform so that they can get accepted into the right school. Seeds of our destruction are in our idols. That's why our kids are so miserable. And the list, of course, of our idols go on and on and on. In every culture not built around the worship of God, some things are idolized. Now, here's the other part of it. If there are some things that are idolized, there also have to be some things that are demonized. This is what's going to save us, and these are the bad people over here who are harming us. They don't worship at the same idol that I do. My idol's going to save us. You and all of you people who don't believe in my idol, you guys are going to destroy us as a nation. People who idolize individual freedom think that what's destroying America are the people who are trying to take away their individual freedom. People who idolize success think that what's destroying America are people who don't work long enough and who don't work hard enough to make as much money as they do. They're drags on the economy. People who idolize the environment think that people who don't idolize the environment are the problem. People who idolize family think people who are divorced are the problem. See, the seeds of a prideful nation's destruction, a nation that refuses, a culture that refuses to worship God, are present in their idols. And so, its destruction is inevitable. And so then the question becomes, what is the hope for any culture? What's the hope for any nation? What's the hope for any family? What's the hope for the young people in our culture today? What's the hope? The hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because the gospel says that the source of evil in every nation is the pride in every single human heart. And so instead of being after every other person out there and every other group of people, and instead of blaming everyone and tearing them apart and warring with them, instead of that, the gospel says, it's my heart that's the problem. I'm the problem, not those people. Not those people. It's me. I'm guilty of idolizing things to get what only God can give me. And like the Babylonians, I will walk over anyone to get it. My prideful heart is the issue. And the solution 
to the problem of my prideful heart is humility and repentance on my part. It is to humble myself before the cross of Jesus Christ. Here I am, trying to cover myself with glory, like the Babylonians were, through all of my idols, and using people, and manipulating people, and warring with people in order to, to get whatever it is that I, that I worship. But Philippians 2 says in the New Testament that when Jesus went to the cross, listen to this, he laid down his glory and he took on my shame so that I could be given his glory. And when we look to the cross of Christ in belief, the spirit of God fills our souls and we're clothed with the beauty and the righteousness of Christ. And the glory that we strive for right now is given to us at the very center of our being. And so rather than walking all over people and using people and manipulating people and warring with people, I can love people. I can serve people knowing that all of my needs are met in Christ. I am loved. I am valued. I don't have to struggle. To get love. I don't have to compete with anyone to see who's the most valuable person in the room. The gospel is the only hope that there is for America or any other nation in the world. And some people will say, well, you know what? If you believe that you have the absolute truth, then you're going to become oppressive to everyone else. And the answer is, here's the answer to that, that issue. It depends on what the absolute truth is. If the absolute truth is the gospel, then you're not going to become oppressive to other people because instead of looking at other people, you're going to look inside and say that the problem is me. It is not anyone else. It's me. It's me. And I need God's grace. And I need to show you God's grace. See? I don't know if you realize it or not, but the end of, at the end of history, every form of government will be seen to have failed. Theocracies built around the worship of other gods will fail. Tyrannies built around the worship of power will fail. Monarchies built around the worship of a particular family line will fail. And democracies built around the idea of the separation of church and state will fail. Because you cannot separate God from a state without replacing him with destructive idols. You can't do it. And those idols are the seeds of that nation's destruction. Every nation will fail. But hear me now. If you don't don't hear anything else, hear this. The church will never fail. Because we're a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue... All of us built around the worship of Jesus Christ. And because of that, all of our needs are met in him. And so we can use things like power and sex and money differently than the rest of the world. We're a people who are to live the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is simply this. My life for yours. It's the way of servant. And then you see people will start to say, will start to say, what is it that you believe that makes you live like this? Why is it that your marriages last and ours don't? Why is it that people of multiple races and generations can live in unity when out here it's constant tension and racism and violence? And why is it that men treat women so well in your community? Out here, men take advantage and use women and they degrade them. What is it that you believe that makes you so different 
And the answer is that what we believe is that our glory comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. We boast in the cross and nothing else. Every nation is going to fail. Every corporation ultimately is going to fail. But the church is never going to fail. The church is a, you know what we're supposed to be as a church? We're supposed to be a preview to the rest of the world of what the kingdom of God is going to look like at some point in the very end, long after every kingdom built around pride has been destroyed. This is what we're supposed to be. In the way that we treat each other. We can have different races worship together because we, we boast in the cross of Christ. Men and women, you know, there's no power issue between them because we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Marriages, and our marriages can stay together because we boast in the cross of Christ. I don't have to use you. You know what? If you don't make me happy, I boast in the cross of Christ. I can demonstrate grace to you. I can stay with you for a lifetime. Marriages can work. This is what we're supposed to be. We don't do that perfectly. This is what we're designed to be, the local church. And so here, so the solution, you know, the solution is, is turn to the gospel. Those of you who have never received Christ, you need Christ. You know, the key verse in this whole book of Habakkuk is that the righteous will live by faith. Now, here's what that means. It doesn't mean that the righteous will make, or that people will make themselves righteous by their own good works and deeds. No, the righteous, those who are righteous, are righteous because they have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, and his righteousness has been given to them. You need his righteousness. And if you say to me, well, you know what, I've got to clean up my life before I can before I can believe in Christ, then you miss the entire point. Like, you don't get it at all. Not about you. It's about Christ. He's the one that makes people righteous, not their own goodness. You need Christ. Those of you who have, you know, you've believed on Christ. You need to turn to the gospel as well. You need to look at the cross of Christ as well. And stop pointing at politicians and Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives and illegal immigrants and blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and whatever as the source of America's problem. And instead, look at yourself and acknowledge that you are the problem. Humble yourself and repent at the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the answer to America's problem. It's the answer to every nation's problem. Turn to Christ. Turn to what he did on the cross. Allow him to force you to look inside. Would you bow with me for prayer? Our Lord Jesus Christ, these are sobering words that the seeds of every culture's destruction are already present in it, even at its apex. And those seeds are represented in the idols of the culture. Lord, I pray this morning 
For those who haven't accepted Christ, who haven't believed on Christ, I pray that they would do so today knowing that it's about his righteousness, not their own. Those who have accepted Christ, who have believed on him, Lord, I pray that you would cause each of us to start looking inside, that we would recognize that it's not the problem in our nation, the problem in our families, the problems in our, in our companies, the problems in our workplace. The problem is me. It's not everybody else. The problem is me. And everybody else needs grace, just like I need grace. Point us to the cross of Christ. Because that's where glory comes from. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your glory and took on my shame so that I could have your glory. And it's in your name that we pray today. I wonder if you notice the seeming paradox in Jeff's sermon. Both that uh, we as individuals who deal with and practice pride are the problem in our own country, and our own culture. And somehow for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus and find ourselves as a part of His church, we're simultaneously uh, the answer and the hope of our culture and our country. That seems like a paradox to me that we're both the problem as well as the hope and the answer. Well, that's what we're on about as we conclude each service with the reminder that the cross changes everything, this week even pride, because God in the person of Jesus has humbled himself emptying himself and he did so to share his glory with us to glorify those who would believe so if we've been taught to be proud and if our pride has meant that we seek glory at the cost of anything and anyone then the cross can change even our pride because instead of seeking to glorify ourselves we can seek to glorify others because God in Christ has sought to glorify us so allow the cross to change you this week think about pride in your life your relationship with pride and ponder on the mystery of the cross that God has humbled himself to share his glory with anyone who would believe If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning here at City Church, we'd love to have you. We're at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville, and we meet at 915 and 11 a.m.